Previously on Sanctuary in downtown Seattle. That was the morning that Jose had come into Sanctuary at the church. What I remember most about that day was the, the feeling of satisfaction that whatever was unfolding, it felt like we were doing the right thing. That's something that you can only know by learning their story, not just judging by what you think is wrong or right, because sometimes doing the wrong thing is the only right thing to do. Week by week, we're telling this story of sanctuary in downtown Seattle through the voices of the people involved. This week, we talk with S.B. Barboa, the program director at Eastside Legal Assistance Program and Chach Duarte White, a staff attorney with Legal Counsel for Youth and Children. Chach and Espy work alongside each other to help parents plan for the care of their children in the event that a parent is detained or deported. One of the things we've been trying to do with this podcast is introduce you to some of the Sanctuary Network volunteers. We recorded this chat a while ago, but I thought it fit in nicely with today's topic. So before we get to our interview with Chach and Espy, let's meet another very important volunteer. My name is Pam Smith-Mans, and I got connected with the work here at Gethsemane through this broader... um, congregational support that comes through work with the Church Council of Greater Seattle. The best part about uh, this work, not that I necessarily want to be doing this work, you know, I wish we could be doing much more progressive things with our with our time and energy in the faith community, but I've met so many amazing people that I didn't know before. So I think oftentimes congregations uh, will do that work internally with their own membership, or they, people might do it through a nonprofit, but you don't have this reach across uh, an array of communities. So I've had a chance to learn about um, other faiths, um, get connected with people I never would have met, develop friendships through that. So. Um, it's, it's been a really um, positive experience for me, just really enriching in terms of not only the work I'm doing on the front lines with some of the immigrants, but the work I'm doing um, standing with some of these other people that I've met from other churches and synagogues and mosques. So. Yeah, it's just incredibly inspiring to see people from different backgrounds and belief systems come together to, to work on something like this is really it's a really inspiring thing. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that um, has been important in this group uh, from the faith uh, perspective is making sure that immigrants are kind of leading that way. And so that's been something um, I think I've always believed in, but also something that this group is very grounded with, and so there's never a question of who's making the decisions, that it's uh, those of us that are are standing in solidarity. uh, We're following the lead of the immigrant community. And what has that lead been so far? Um, I think a variety of things in terms of people making decisions uh, about 
Do they want to seek sanctuary? Obviously, that's a decision that people make, I think, when there's great risk to their family being separated and attorneys haven't found another pathway for the individual. Um, but I think when we started some of the work here in Seattle, at least with the university district churches and synagogues, we really uh, created a space for sanctuary, much like Gethsemane did, thinking that um, that space would be needed by uh, a family or an individual. And no one actually asked us for that space and we were well connected. But what we did then with that space is actually identify an asylum seeker who entered as an unaccompanied minor and needed a new place to live. And so we turned in the space we created for sanctuary to an apartment for someone to live for uh, a period of months. Um, allowing them to gain a little bit more stability in their employment and then move on to kind of that next step of, of finding an apartment out in the community. Um, so that, that certainly would be an example of where we thought the space would be used and didn't turn out that that's what uh, the immigrant community needed. So if you were in charge for a day, <laughs> what, what's one change you would make? maybe in the system, society, it could be whatever speaks to you. Mm. Um, I'm not sure exactly, you know, how to facilitate this change, but um, I think the thing that's even more disheartening to me than many of the things that are happening is what's happening with children being separated from their parents and it's being done in such a way that um, some of those parents may never find their children again. Um, so figuring out a way that that doesn't happen immediately because um, I think that's pretty frightening to, to parents. And when you have listened to some of the stories of parents um, being interviewed when that has happened and they've been fortunate enough to, to find their children again, um, there's just this kind of trauma that they're sharing about their children, that those children will never be the same again. Even if that trauma has only been over a period of months, it will be with them for a lifetime. And um, it's just really hard to think about that impact that we're choosing to impose on children and families. My name is Chach Duarte White, and I am a staff attorney with Legal Counsel for Youth and Children. Uh, we represent um, children and youth uh, in different areas, dependencies, which is foster care, uh, juvenile defense. We also do work with homeless youth and immigrant youth. And my name is Esperanza Borboa, and I'm the program director at Eastside Legal Assistance Program. Uh, our office is in Bellevue. And Eastside Legal Assistance is a civil legal aid organization that provides um, legal services to low-income individuals living in East and Southeast King County. We um, administer or manage 31 legal clinics in family law, bankruptcy, general law, and immigration um, throughout Southeast and, King, and, and East King County. We do Know Your Rights workshops. We work with domestic violence survivors. We have a medical legal partnership where we work with two clinics. Um, serving clients there at the clinics. 
we work with uh, victims of crime, and all in all, really try to keep our finger on the pulse of what are the legal issues impacting low-income communities. I uh, worked on what's called the Emergency Safety Plan, uh, and the idea behind it was to create a plan uh, for parents, uh, particularly immigrant parents, but all parents can use this plan, on what, what information they should gather for their children if they're detained or deported or unavailable to take care of their children. Uh, because given the political situation as it is, immigrants particularly are being targeted and we need to make sure that the children left behind have a plan. Otherwise, those children are even more vulnerable than they would be otherwise. So I d uh, developed that plan and SB and I uh, both work in similar areas. Our paths cross a lot. Cross a lot. So, um, and then she has put it more in implementation. I tend to train the trainers, and then help with some of the clinics. But generally, I train the trainers, and they go on and put on their own clinics. The first clinic was in Tequila at a high school. Um, and I wanted to see myself and, uh, and another person in Bellevue wanted to check out how it was done because we wanted to do it at a school there in Bellevue. Um, so we participated, and I'm a notary, so I took my notary stamp and I notarized a few documents. But we wanted to see, is this how, is this how we want to do it? Is this the way it'll work? Um, and it was very helpful because then we took that model and back to Bellevue and and we tweaked it and did all kinds of different things. Um, the way we do the safety plan workshop now is very different from how we started out. It was very labor intensive when we first did it. We provided a lot of um, kind of administrative support to the families. We don't do that anymore. Um, it's really not necessary. Uh, and so we have a more streamlined a way of doing it so that we can serve a large room of families all at once. Um, and we're and we're encouraging people to become notaries so that we can have an army of notaries in the room because that's where our bottleneck will be once everybody's done with their forms and they have to get them notarized and if you only have two notaries it becomes a big mess <laughs> but yeah so we and and recently Chach did a um, uh, train the trainer and I went to it even though we've been doing them um, it's good to just kind of get refreshed because you don't want to get um, stuck in doing something one way and um, and I learned some things by going to that training. So walk me through this plan a little bit. Well the plan basically I'll give the general idea maybe Espy and then you could uh, touch on the specifics. The, the plan is um, a document that includes information. It's about a 30-page document that includes information on what documents you should uh, get for your child if you don't already have them and how you should put them in one place. Uh, things like birth certificates and passports and um, social security cards if they're American citizens. Uh, things like that, that uh, immunization records, school records, so that in the event that a parent um, is detained or has uh, been taken away quickly, that someone has access to those documents. The other big thing that the safety plan has on it is an intention of what the parents want for that child. So where would the, that parent want the child to reside while they may be detained? 
Um, and so they can fill out this form, get it notarized, and that could serve as the intention of what they want to happen. Um, so ideally, there's a third party that they have specified that would be the person that could pick them up from school, that can take care of their medical issues, what have you. Uh, the other thing is there's a temporary consent uh, authorization in that packet where they can, the parents can essentially give their parental rights of um, providing medical education and travel rights over to that third party. So that third party can take care of the children as if they were their own child while either the parents are detained or deported so that the child can actually continue to live and be in a safe place. And, and that's really what this is all about, is keeping the children safe. It's daunting and it's a very emotional process for the families and it's an emotional process for those of us sitting on the other side of the table. There was one situation, it was the first um, safety plan workshop we did and had a young mother and, you know, I'm kind of the floor boss, so I'm running all over the place and the attorney comes up, we can't get her to check off this box. And it's, there's a question in here about um, how long this, this um, document will be in place. And we, we tell them to put indefinitely because how do you know, mm-hmm. right? Well, this mother did not want to put indefinitely. She wanted, she kept saying, no, I want my baby with me. I want my baby with me. No matter what happens, I want my baby with me. So they kept trying to explain to her that's not real, blah, blah. She was very insistent. So I went over. She was very young. She was on her own. She was a DV survivor who had escaped from another state to um, be safe, right? And she was alone. And uh, so I asked her, "You do? Are you working?" Yes. Oh, how's your baby? Just kind of talking with her. How, what's the baby's name? What do you do with the baby? The baby goes to daycare. Baby daycare. So she takes a bus, drops the baby off, takes the bus, goes to work. So I just asked her, I said, what, what would happen to your baby if you're at work and ICE comes and they take you from work? And you could just see the light bulb goes on. And, um, and she just lost it. The baby was there, so she's clutching the baby. And so everybody's crying, and I'm keeping it together because I got to finish this process and um, and I gave her my business card with my home number my cell <laughs> you can't help but you almost, I almost want to say just come and stay with me we'll take care of you we'll make sure you're safe it's so hard to to not do that and she finally calmed down and she understood and and I wanted her to feel empowered that she was doing something to protect her child and so once I felt that she was starting to go down that path that kind of feeling better about what she was doing even though it scared the hell out of her um I got up and and left and people finished off and there was a notary there that notarized her documents and I went outside because I had to release all that emotion in order to be able to come back in and work um because you got to stay focused you know gotta keep doing what we're doing right I imagine uh it's important to build trust too I, I, I can think that from a parent's perspective, you would be suspicious about anything you're signing. You know what I mean? And yeah. then trying to understand it and uh, and all that can be tricky. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and so spending time with everybody beforehand um, and the way that people, uh, the way we were doing it before is 
we would have people call our office and we would do an intake. So sometimes I'm the person that talked to them. So when they come in and I hear their name, oh, de acuerdas, you know, I'm Esperanza, blah, 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 and you start talking and, and you go around and you just meet everybody that's there yeah. and, and um, talk to them in Spanish and mm-hmm. kind of put people at ease. We'll have food, we'll have water, we'll have activities for the kids. Um, we try to make it as non-threatening as possible because it's a terrifying thing to have to do and think about. So once you have this document yep. put together and it's notarized, yep. that's legally binding, correct? Yes, it should be um, because you can't give custody away here right. in Washington by just signing something over. You have to go through the family courts. Okay. But it is essentially a contract between one parent to the third party. Yes. So does our system tend to honor that? Um, we've worked with... Um, Department of Children and Youth and Families, um, NCPS, and they have said that they will honor these. Uh, the issue is whether they will actually get to see them um, right. because it, that's the question is who has them. Um, but if, they, if someone were to present one and they can't find the parent, they will honor the intention of the parent. Yes. And try to follow what it says. Right. Hopefully, as long as we don't have someone who decides to play a uh, politician. Yes, and also that um, it, if a child goes into the dependency system, so um, foster care, then they would have to pass a criminal background check um, in order for the, them to place the child with them. Right. The idea, though, is if the parents have um, signed these papers over to another person, to that third party, then the third party could actually come to the school and pick up the child. And then the police are never involved um, the department's never involved, and so that child never enters foster care. And it would just basically, the, the child would continue to move along as if um, they were with their family, and hopefully that's part of it, is they keep those family ties. I imagine this process is pretty traumatic for children, too. Very um, much so. We were just talking about that. It's, um, it, it's an issue that um, we have to figure out. And bring in other people that other organizations and individuals that work with children to um, help support these young people who are traumatized. You know, children as young as five, four years old know you know know that something's not right. They 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 hear the news, they hear the radio, they hear the adults talking, and that's little ones. So the older ones even more so. They know what's going on. They're afraid. They don't want to be pulled away from their parents. They don't want to. You know, who are they going to pick for me to go stay with? I mean, they, they, so, so this whole idea of not disrupting their lives anymore mm-hmm. necessary is really important because even if it's a smooth transition, they're traumatized. I have some clients right now that have a bag by the door mm-hmm. because they know that their parents can be picked up at any time. And if their parents are picked up, that means they have nowhere to sleep. That also means their phones won't work because the parents usually pay for the phone plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have nowhere to go. So they know there's a bag ready. It has my card in it because they're going to be on the street. And we need to find those kids a place to sleep. And some of those kids are United States citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's affecting, I mean, just imagine every day coming home and not knowing if your parents come home. Right. 
um, it's it's hard to live like that. Um, the trauma is over and over, and it's every day. And um, there's this this worry of anyone in a uniform is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know just living on kind of pins and needles all the time. Wow. Sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to end on a depressing note. No, that's. It's a, it's important to have these conversations and it's important for people to take time to consider that these are all, you know, pieces and parts of this. You know what I mean? What else do I need to know? What am I, what else am I missing here? Well, I will like to uh, point out that um, the safety plan, at least we have it in multiple languages and it doesn't just affect Latinos. Uh, I want to make sure people realize that, that, um, you know, there's people from Africa that we work with. Um, there's, uh, you know, Canadians, <laughs> which people don't think are very much different than Americans. Um, <clears throat> and then you also have, um, again, Americans should really consider this because they don't. They think it's not going to affect them. It will, um, and it can. Uh, if you're traveling outside the country and you're entering, you basically get to come in if you're allowed in. Um, and depending on the color of your skin or where you're from, um, generationally, it might matter and what port of entry you're coming through. I guarantee you, if you're coming through a southern port of entry, it will be different if your last name is Latino. Um, so you need to think about these things. And also, uh, as SB has said, remember the humanity behind it. Um, these are real people, and they are um, children are being affected, and that will last for generations. Um, and we need to think about how we treat uh, the people that need us the most. And is this really how we want to be remembered? You know, whoever you are as a citizen, somebody that was born here, um, is this really how you want to be? Because it's not just how you're seen, it's how you are. Because when you advocate for policies or actions that are inhumane, and damage families and destroy people and children, that becomes who you are. Is that really who you want to be? And I don't want to be that person. So we start with, you know, with with ourselves and then go out from there. And there's a lot of good people here in the city of Seattle, in the state of Washington, in the Northwest, in this country, who are fighting and working very hard to make not make this be the reality anymore. Um, but it's an uphill battle. And I think ultimately you need to just remember that none of us chose when or where we were born. That had nothing to do with us. We just popped out someplace and you were either lucky or not so much. Uh, and the reality is people think that they have this entitlement because they were born into a certain family or a certain place. But the reality is it's, it's luck. We all have power. You can demand from your legislators that you want to know what's going on down in the border. Where are they putting these people? I heard there's refrigerator units that they're putting pregnant women and babies and they're just putting them in there and that's where they're holding them. Is that true? You know, you hear something... Find out the truth. Demand that the press cover this. It's not in the news. 
you know, it'll, it'll be in the news for a little while and then it's gone, but it's still happening every single day. And it, and we have the power to bring it back up. How many times have we seen in this country and around the world, the movements where people who just decide that, no, that we're, we're not going to let that happen anymore. Yeah. And, and, and it rises up and um, the truth comes mm-hmm. out and then change happens. And so we have that power. We still have that power. We've always had that power. That's it for this week's episode. I'd like to thank Pam, Espy, and Chach for joining us today. On the next episode, we'll sit down for a conversation with a successful asylum seeker to learn more about that process. Sanctuary in downtown Seattle is produced by Seekers Northwest, along with the Church Council of Greater Seattle. 